Outcome Podcast. I'm Owen Poindexter. And I'm Jim Pugh. We have many, many times on this podcast brought up the Alaska Permanent Fund as really the only existing example of, of government-run universal income that exists today, certainly in the U.S., and it, it seems like to a large degree around the world, uh, where people there, everyone in the state is, is getting this check every year that, that came from the oil money there. But we haven't ever really dived in deeply on what, what are all the dynamics that actually come into play with that, how does that work, and how did it come to be? So to delve into that, I got to speak with Alaska State Senator Bill Wilikowski, who is a big proponent of the fund and gave us an on-the-ground look on what's going on in Alaska. So here's Owen's interview with Senator Bill Wilikowski. Uh, Senator Wilikowski, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So many of our listeners are familiar with the Alaska Permanent Fund, but to, just to ground us, would you describe the fund and how it works? Yeah, so the Alaska Permanent Fund was set up in 1982. And what had happened was uh, several years before that, we had discovered oil in Alaska at Prudhoe Bay. The state of Alaska got $900 million for uh, the royalties from leasing that out. And uh, this was at a time when our annual state budget was around $125 million. And, um, and they had spent all of that $900 million within about six years. And so the people of Alaska were frustrated and they wanted to be able to put some away and they wanted to be able to make sure that some of it went to every everyday ordinary Alaskans because a lot of that money went to big special interests, went to people who were politically connected. And so they um, created the Alaska Permanent Fund and uh, they put in 25% of all the royalty money that we get for our oil and gas. We have a tremendous amount of oil and gas in Alaska. And under this, and this is something that's unique about Alaska compared to every other state in the country. Uh, we're the only state in the country where the state actually owns the subsurface rights. We actually own the oil and gas, as opposed to a private landowner in, say, Texas or North Dakota or California, where if you happen to own the land, you're a farmer rancher and and you are out hunting and you shoot and hit hit the ground and oil shoots up, uh, you actually the private landowner own that oil in Alaska that belongs to the state and it belongs collectively to everyone. And so what better way to share that resource wealth than to pay it out in a dividend to every single Alaskan. And that's what exactly what we do. Every man, woman, and child who is a resident of the state of Alaska, you have to be a resident for one full calendar year. You are eligible for a permanent fund dividend. And it's been as high as about $3,200 uh, several years ago. And um, last year, this year, it's projected to be about $1,600 per person. So for a family of four, it's, it's a significant amount of income. And it's done some really tremendous things here in Alaska. Uh, we have the lowest income inequality in the United States, in large part because of the Permanent Fund Dividend Program. It's something that comes out in October once a year. And it just provides a huge, huge economic boost to our state. It provides a huge boost to people. Kids are going back to school. And um, people use it to, for school supplies, for clothes, for food. Uh, you know, there's certainly people that go out and use it for uh, big screen TVs and trips to Hawaii. But the, the studies and the research shows the vast majority of it just goes to ordinary bills, uh, you know, paying your bills and putting money towards college and, and uh, education, food and fuel, which is very expensive here in Alaska. Yeah, and that that pretty much answers my next question, which was just what it what it means to Alaskans to have this money coming in every year, because it's not 
an income replacement by any means, but you know, one to three thousand dollars is it's pretty significant. It is significant, and for when you think about it, a family of four uh, in Alaska makes around uh, average family makes around fifty thousand dollars per year. And um, and so if you're getting sixteen hundred dollars a piece, you're you're looking at um, uh, a pretty significant amount of money, right? That's sixty over six thousand dollars. And so um, you know that's like twelve percent of your annual earnings for the average family. Now I I represent a, a little bit lower income district, and and I probably the average wage in in my district and in some of the nearby districts is maybe around twenty five or thirty thousand dollars. So. For a family of four, and some of them, some of those families have much larger families. Uh, it's a significant portion of their income, and and obviously it impacts people on the lower end of the income scale much more than people on the higher end of the income scale. If you're making a million dollars and you get another six thousand bucks, it's it's kind of peanuts. Uh, if you're making twenty five thousand dollars and you're and you get you know eight people in your family, which is not unusual. And uh, for, for some of our families, ex- including extended families, it's a huge, huge income boost. And it really has helped elevate people. It's helped lift people. We've heard stories about people, you know, they, they save up, but wait till the permanent fund dividend check comes around and, and they'll buy a car so that they can go out and, and get a job and get work. I, I, there's a district that I used to represent. 50% of the people don't have cars. We don't have the greatest public transportation system here in Alaska. And so it, it opens, it provides a huge amount of economic freedom for people. Uh, some people save it up uh, and put it in their kids' college education funds. We've got uh, programs that are set up for a local university here. And, uh, and you talk to many, many Alaskans, and they'll tell you they paid for their college through their permanent fund dividend. Uh, a lot of people, it's food and fuel. If you go out to, particularly in rural Alaska, uh, you got to rural Alaska, there are no roads to get there. Uh, it takes a plane from Anchorage. It can cost seven hundred to a thousand dollars round trip just to get to some of these villages. There is ver- very little economic activity, if any. You have some villages where there's fifty, sixty people. There are no stores. There are no. There's just no economy at all. And uh, a gallon of milk could cost you eleven dollars. Uh, a gallon of gasoline can cost you seven, eight, ten dollars. Uh, extremely expensive and. Uh, it's it's a matter of survival for a lot of people in rural Alaska to get the dividend check. Wow, yeah, that's that's fascinating. I feel like I have so many questions just about what those villages are like, but I'll, I'll try to stay focused here. Um, and, and yeah, you sort of we're getting into this, but it sounds like you've observed some some ripple effects from from the cash infusion. So it's not just a, a little extra money; it can mean. Uh, maybe someone who's able to then start earning more money because they're able to, say, invest in a vehicle or something else, or they're able to, to go to school. So it's maybe the first domino of many that, in terms of changing people's lives. No doubt. It is, it is a tremendous, has a tremendous domino effect. And, and because this, there was a big debate when they started the program as to whether or not kids could get it. And, uh, and ultimately they decided that, well, parents could apply for their kids or guardians would apply for the children. And so, so children do get it. And, and some, some parents will save up and use that for college, but other parents, they just can't afford to do that. And so, yeah, they'll, they'll use that to go out and start small businesses. I've heard stories about people who will they'll pull up their entire family's uh, permanent fund dividend check and they'll start a small business. They'll start maybe a food truck or they'll go out and get a car and, and, and be able to have somebody go to work and earn money for the family. So there are definitely domino effects that occur because of this. 
in rural Alaska, we have many people that live a subsistence lifestyle. There are no stores. There are no grocery stores. You can't, you can't walk down the street or even drive your car and go, go to a grocery store. So a lot of people live a subsistence lifestyle. And so for them, it's really important that they have maybe a snow machine, uh, which will enable them to get out and pick berries or go hunting or go fishing. Of course, you need gas to go and do that, to, to use your snow machine or your boat, for example. And, uh, and so it really is just a matter of survival because the prices are so high out there. You, you just can't even, can't even really comprehend uh, the, the cost and, and, and um, how it is in, in some of these communities, some of these villages. And just a logistical question, when children get the fund, does that go to their parents or is it like a separate bank account or something? So if you're under 18 in Alaska, then your parents go ahead and file for you. So, and the parents ultimately decide where that money goes. And this was a, this was a big, big debate uh, when you go back and look at the historical minutes of creating the permanent fund. Uh, some people thought kids shouldn't get it and that it should just go to people over 18. And, and ultimately the decision was made you know what, if you're an Alaskan resident, uh, if, if you were just born, in fact, we have a special provision, you have to live a full, you have to uh, live a full calendar year in the state of Alaska. But if you're a child and you're born on December 31st, it's as then you're treated as if you've lived in, in the state for a full year. And, and part of that was just the recognition that, you know, kids are expensive and, and uh, parents should be able to have access to that money. Like I said, some parents will use it for education and savings. Um, others will use it for just basic food supplies, clothing, you know, shelter, rent, the fuel, things like that. Yeah, so the permanent fund is, as far as I know, the only program in the United States where the only requirement is to be uh, a resident of the state. You know, there's no income requirement. There's no, you know, disability or anything like that. Has there ever been a, a pushback from people saying this shouldn't go to millionaires or, you know, some, something, some kind of requirement. We have this debate every now and then. And, and I think the, the philosophy was that, and, and so there definitely are some people that believe that, but I, it, it becomes fundamentally, how do you look at, how do you look at what the permanent fund in Alaska is? And, and I, I think if you were to ask most Alaskans, you'll get a, you may get a little bit different explanation or, or belief on what it, what the purpose of it is. Um, but I think f- from my perspective, and I think the way many Alaskans would look at it is it, it's our ownership share. We have these tremendous natural resources here in Alaska, and and uh, and so the permanent fund is com- comprised of the royalties from mining from oil, from gas. And so you have these tremendous resources and it's looked at like a, like an ownership share. And so if you have a stock in AT&T or, or Apple or, or Google, for example, and, and you get a dividend, it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire, if you were, if you don't have any money at all, it's just, it's your ownership share. And so I think that's the way that most Alaskans look at it is it's my ownership share. I I'm an Alaskan and I, through the Alaska Constitution, own part of the resources. They belong to the to the state collectively, and I'm a resident of the state. And so it's how we share in all our resources. And so when you when you when you step back and you say, you know, we're going to start excluding millionaires, people, rich people, which we don't have a, a huge amount, by the way, in Alaska, then uh, it sort of changes the way the permanent fund is viewed in the state. It, it changes it 
more of from an ownership share to maybe what some people would perceive as an entitlement. And I think in Alaska, we prefer to look at it. And, and I think it's, it's, the, it's the better way to look at it, for, certainly for us, um, as an ownership share. Yeah, it really does change the the mentality around it when it's not, you know, some people get it and some people don't. So speaking of kind of the, the politics around the permanent fund, uh, just in the last year, um, your the representatives in Alaska um, took some money out of the fund to pay for government. Could you just update us on kind of the state of the fund? Um, is it under threat? And um, just what's going on with that right now? Yeah, the permanent fund is under threat. In fact, it's it's um, it's been under threat since the very day that it passed, in back in 1982. Uh, there was a, a governor that ran. Uh, so the sort of the the godfather of the permanent fund is our former governor Jay Hammond. This was his vision. Um, he turned out in 1982, and a new governor was elected, a guy named Bill Sheffield, and one of his top priorities was actually to get rid of the permanent fund. Uh, he didn't like it. He didn't like the idea of paying out a dividend. And so what we've seen over the years, ever since we've had it is rich and powerful special interests have been um, chomping at the bit to get into the permanent fund. It's this huge pool of money and they would, pref- you know, if you're politically connected. So right now every Alaskan gets, this year it'll be $1,600, every man, woman, a child. But, it, and that doesn't matter if you're politically connected. It doesn't matter, you know, sort of who your mother or father is or, you know, your access to maybe some powerful political figure. But when you, when you if you were to change that and give all that money to, to, to government and, and allow the politicians to divvy, up, divvy it up, then who gets it? Well, people more likely to get it are those who are very well politically connected, those who understand how to use the political process to their advantage, those who are big campaign contributors. They often somehow uh, tend to benefit from these things. And so what happens is someone who's rich and powerful, they're able to come in and get maybe a, a thousand times that what they would ordinarily get or more, a million times. I mean, you, you look at what government doles out to special interests in terms of tax breaks and tax credits and just, you know, flat out giving money away. And, um, and so the, so the rich and powerful who know how to use the political process get more money that way. And so this has been a constant struggle in Alaska ever since the very day that the permanent fund dividend was created, the rich and powerful, big special interests have always wanted to get rid of it because they want to divvy up more for themselves. And it's been a constant fight because the, the rest of the people are not as organized. They tend not to be as organized and, and uh, as politically active. And so there's been that constant fight. In 1999, there was a, a, um, uh, we were in a similar situation. We were very dependent on the price of oil. The price of oil was down in 99. There was talk about, hey, we're, we're going to have to start using the permanent fund to pay for government. And, and they decided to put it out to a vote of the people. And the oil companies spent millions of dollars and the big special interests, the Chamber of Commerce came in and spent huge amounts of money trying to convince people that we, we really need to start using the permanent fund for government. And, um, and, and the, the, the supporters literally spent millions of dollars. The, the opponents was just kind of this ragtag group of people. They spent about $5,000. And the opposition got 83% of the vote. 83% of Alaskans said, no, don't touch the permanent fund. <laughs> don't use it for government. So 
So, uh, but now we have a governor who's just been hell bent on getting into the permanent fund and uh, and cutting the dividend, slashing the dividend. So, for the first time in, in history, he unilaterally cut the dividend. He vetoed the the dividend. Um, I sued him. I went to the Supreme Court. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court uh, found in his favor. And then uh, since then, so in 2016, 2017, and now 2018, the dividend has been cut. And uh, it's been at the, uh, the push of large multinational corporations, uh, very wealthy special interests who want to get into the permit fund and want to use that for government. They want to be able to have access to that money. And so the dividend this year is supposed to be about 2700 Instead, it's going to be about 1600 And um, it's, a big, it's, going to be, it's a big issue politically. It's going to be a big issue in the upcoming elections. And we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. So is it, it is a live issue that, that gets a lot of play in, in your elections. Like you're, you, you talk about it, I'm sure, but does it come up in governor's race as well? Absolutely. And this, this year will be the first year where it's, it's going to be just a huge issue. It is probably one of the focal issues in, in this upcoming election cycle, um, certainly for governor, because you have a governor who, who uh, made it really his top priority was to cut the dividend. And, and, uh, there, there have been Facebook pages that have started up and, and groups that have started up. Uh, the one thing about social media is it's allowed everyday ordinary Alaskans to sort of mobilize. And so and we have this one Facebook group that started up. It's got about 18 or 19,000 members, which is a lot for Alaska. And, uh, and they're opposing, uh, the, the cutting of the permanent fund dividend check. There's other sort of small groups that start up, but you know, they don't have the political, um, it's not like you're a big corporation and you can assign a few people making a hundred grand to go out and have a you know, astroturf kind of social media program. Uh, this is a small group of people, but if, if you go and you talk to the people on the street, if you go door to door, if you go to the local grocery store, go, you know, talk to people at town hall meetings, they're very interested in this issue. This is a huge issue to them. The majority of Alaskans don't support what's happening. And, uh, and yeah, we'll see how it plays out in the upcoming election. And is this something that those of us in the other 49 states can help out with in any way? Or is it uh, kind of more your fight? Well, we're, we're always looking for help. <laughs> uh, we, have some, we have actually some pretty, uh, you know, f- funding-wise, we have some, some uh, strict laws on you know, how much money candidates can get from out- outside of the state, which I think is a good thing. Um, but you know, the, there's there's probably ways that people can help, and, and we've worked with some organizations outside that are interested in, in um, uh, you know basic income and, and look at uh, the permanent fund as sort of a, a type of basic income, and and they've been helpful, and they've come to Alaska and we've met with them and we've had good discussions with them, and, and, and they've offered some help, and yeah, we're always looking for help. You know, we're uh, we're a small state, and and it's it's just the, the special interests here have an unbelievable amount of power and uh, we have we have yet to truly organize the people to um to be able to stand up to protect the dividend um we're, we're fighting though the last thing i wanted to ask you is that uh about how alaska is a model for for other states and maybe the country as a whole and even hillary clinton in her book after the election wrote that she was considering a program that she was actually calling alaska for america where we'd use you know public resources uh you know, create a fund and, and distribute a dividend. Do you think that basic model 
would, would work anywhere? I do. I, I do. Absolutely. And, and when you think about it in, in the United States, you know, in Alaska, why would it be any different? Why, why should, uh, the oil and gas is, is it belongs to all the people. You know, if you've got oil and gas in the ground, there are certainly federal lands where there's a tremendous amount of oil and gas and mining resources and timber resources that belongs to all the people. It doesn't just belong to a select small group of special interests. It belongs to all the people. And so why shouldn't you be able to take a portion of that and give it back to the people? I think it would have a tremendously positive impact on the lives of, of, potentially every American, you know, I scale wise, you have to work out how the numbers work, but, but this state and uh, this country is just unbelievably blessed with uh, incredible natural resources and they belong to all the people. And so I think we can probably work out a way to, to figure out how to share that with, with every American. Absolutely. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? I have read and, and I believe the Alaska permanent fund dividend program is one of the most successful political programs in the history of the United States, if not the world. Uh, you look at the polling and it has, and I've seen what it does to the lives of tens of thousands of Alaskans. There's just tons of research on it lifting people out of poverty and uh, providing education and food and fuel and just the basic things that you need in life to move on and providing a tremendous economic activity. And it is something that I think uh, has been tremendously successful. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And I think we need to figure out a way that we can take this as, use this as a model and, and, uh, and have it all around the country, uh, have it in the United States. I know they're, you know, they're, it's starting to pick up some steam and we've seen other attempts in, uh, in the rest of the world. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's some communities now that are talking about doing it in the United States, but, but this is definitely an issue that's worth that's worth moving forward on and worth fighting for. It's been tremendously successful here. I don't see why it could be tremendously successful uh, throughout the country. That was Owen speaking with Senator Bill Wilikowski of Alaska about the Alaska Permanent Fund. So I just found it was striking how much the dividend is incorporated into people's lives. I mean, it's just, you know, say $2,000 one time a year, but for some people and some families, it seems to be really deeply incorporated into their incomes and to how they plan out the whole year. Yeah, I think that that's, I feel like that's not necessarily unique to a universal income program. I think oftentimes any sort of social support program, at least one that's visible to people, once it's in place, it starts to feel natural and it's just something that's there. But I think given the conversation that often happens around universal income and this idea that once we have this, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Will people start working? Will they be buying all these terrible things, these nightmare scenarios that people throw out there, even though they're not based on evidence, actually seeing this immediate example of, oh, once you have this, it's just there, and life gets easier for people. You have less inequality, but it, it doesn't actually look completely different or foreign in an ongoing way. Yeah, and I also thought that Wilikowski really showed how versatile uh, cash is. Now you've got these these rural villages where you can't even take a road to get there. You have to fly there, and they're mostly you know, kind of hunter-gatherer type societies, and uh, and they have very specific needs. And it's not what you normally think of when you think of you know what cash can be used for. You think you know housing and food, but 
Um, but cash helps them in the same way that it helps, you know, a family of four in Anchorage, say. It, it helps you fill in whatever gaps you have, whether that's milk and gasoline for you know the the rural society, or you know the school supplies maybe for Anchorage. Right. Yet another example of how you can imagine if someone were to come in and at the state level be thinking about, okay, what are our support programs? If they were to design some in-kind system, it's very very possible they might have overlooked some of these cases and and come up with a solution that wasn't actually the right one for, for a lot of people. Whereas with cash, as you say, you have that versatility, and so everyone was able to, or is able to figure out for themselves what they actually want to do with it. The other thing that really struck me in the conversation was hearing more about the political dynamics that have happened over time with the permanent fund. The fact that there really has been, it seems like, almost constant attempts to raid the fund by government over time and that is actually, up until this most recent issue, has managed to defend itself against that because people did have that sense of ownership there. And that's really, I mean, you can think of a few examples of, of programs, other pr social programs that have managed to withstand outside attempts to disrupt them, but that seems pretty exceptional. Yeah, and it shows the popularity of the fund. The, the polls that have been done on it show that you know, people would, are happy to have higher taxes to, uh, to sustain the fund, and, um, and that, yeah, even when people in power want to take it down, usually you know, the, the people kind of rise up. And hopefully that'll happen again, because as Wolikowski said, it, it is under threat right now. Right, and I am very curious to see what the results of this upcoming election will be and if that ends up being a referendum on, on, on this effort to, to rate it. Uh, because if it does, I mean, that, I think that says even more. Letting us to really gain more insight into what something like this means there and extrapolate from that as to what the dynamics might be in other places. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Basic Income Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Eric Davidson. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the service of your choice and tell your friends about the show so we can bring in more people into this conversation. See you next week.